Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunridge Teaching Podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means that we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We are gathering indoors right now, socially distanced and masked for now. We'd love to have you drop in. Just check our website, sunridgechurch.org, for the latest details on times and options. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hey, so I'm seeing uh, the Pilbins are here. Teresa, stand up. Teresa did our books for years, and they fell into sin and moved to Tennessee. (laughs) Now they're rednecks, right? Kenny, you going to grow a mullet next? or uh, Okay, all right, that's all right. But we're so glad to see you guys. You're, you're so precious to our church family, even though you're like, you abandon us, but that's okay. Uh, and I'm seeing like one of our old students here, Holly, this must be your husband, right? It's so good to, it's so good to see. I don't mean to embarrass you, but all the way from Colorado, right? And uh, some of you I'm just used to seeing. I, I don't even appreciate you anymore. So, uh, uh, so, so good to be together as a church. I was in Michigan uh, last week, and so, yeah, pure Michigan, smitten with the mitten. Too bad I'm from Miami. But uh, we had a great time, and uh, I'm so appreciative of Jed and... Uh, his teachings. I got to listen to the message while on vacation without any pressure, so I got to really listen. So was, I'm so grateful for you, church, and for, um, for our staff and our elders. Uh, by the way, uh, we have two elder names that you can give us input on, um, Becca Ellis and uh, David Williams. They are, uh, the input sheets are back there. We would love to have your input on that. And uh, elders, current elders, would you stand right now? your current elder, please stand. And if you have questions about our process, how we even end up with names, or you know, even some of the changes that Sundridge has gone through over the last couple of years in terms of eldership and women's roles, these guys are available. I'm available. We, if we need to have uh, larger meetings, we certainly will. We just uh, we want you to be part of this process with us. You gave us the names, and so. I uh, just want to make these guys available to you after church if you need to talk to them or anything. So thank you guys for... <clears throat> thank you, elders. Yeah. And, um, and then last, um, I just want to say to you, as one of the pastors here, I would love to have you be a part of this retreat. It's coming up, and I know it's a super busy weekend. And um, Look, COVID has really done something to the world. I don't know if you've noticed or not. And um, so it isn't just about having fun, but we're going to have some fun together as a church. It's also about connecting, reconnecting, because we've been apart for so long. And it's about refocusing. When, when COVID hit, we, we took a few series to address what was happening in the world. We talked about the new normal and being in the wilderness. I'm sure you remember all of those sermons by memory, you know. Um, But 
we wanted to say, as we go into this, even though none of us knew how long it would last or how bad it would be, um, as we went into it, we wanted to talk about, you know, get a, get a Jesus perspective of it. And so that's why we did those series. And now as we kind of emerge out of it, I mean, way back, just a couple months into it, I was trying to generate conversation about, like, hey, what are we going to do when we get out of this? And they're like, uh, it's going to last longer than that, Britt. I'm like, oh, okay, we won't talk about it yet. But coming out of it, this, what we're doing with the retreat and then even the things that we're going to be teaching through the summer are one, doing just the basics, connecting as the body of Christ with one another, renewing our relationships and cementing ourselves together, and meeting new people that are here. And, um, and then also, as has been needed throughout COVID, which is always needed for our attention to be on Jesus Christ, because there's so much nonsense going on in the world, and we have to focus on him. And so th- this would be a great start to that for you. So anyway, is that enough announcements? After the announcements, okay. If you don't know me, my name's Britt, <laughs> and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are wrapping up a study of the book of Ruth. What you may not know, uh, which you're about to know, is that around the mid-1800s, a German novelist named Gustav Freytag noted that a good story, the typical story, has an arc, a narrative arc to it. There's kind of like the introduction, and then there's the, the narrative of the story, or kind of like the build-up, the rising action, and then there's the climax of the story and a quick fall, and then resolution to the whole story, unless there's a sequel to follow. <laughs> Have you noticed that? When you read a book or you've watched a movie, you see this pattern to the story. It's kind of like a roller coaster ride. You know, you get on and it takes it, you know, the buildup is clack, 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 and then you hit the peak, right? And then it speeds up to the end, but that's where you throw your arms up and scream in joy or panic, whatever it might be. Did I ever tell you that my mom was an English teacher? That's why I'm nerding out on that. So the author of Ruth is a masterful storyteller in this tradition. We have a four-chapter book that is launched, the whole idea of Ruth is launched in five verses. The story is told, and now it wraps up in ten quick verses in a brief genealogy. And at the end, you're going to want to throw your arms up and shout for joy. We said from the beginning of this book that we didn't want Ruth to be just your typical hallmark love story. You know, the way it is often taught, you know, at women's retreat, where all the single women go home hoping that Boaz and their life will arrive in his shining armor, and all the married women go home with expectation that their husband become the new Boaz in their life, right? But we've seen that Ruth is so much more than that. And the fact that two women, Naomi and Ruth, dominate this story in the Bible is just so unusual. It's unusual for that time. And as we've noted, there's only two books in the Bible named after women. So it's unusual that this story would appear. And for the audience at that time, it made them sit forward. 
because it was different. It's not a normal story. But the Bible, all 66 books, is incomplete without this little four-chapter book. And even though it comes from an ancient culture, it still speaks to us. I hope that you've been seeing that as we've gone through. If this were a secular story or just a story, we would note how these women who are gritty and innovative and determined survive. And that's, that's all true in this story. But this is the Bible. And everything in the Bible has a reason for being there. Every word. The Bible tells us that every word in the Bible is recorded and it's been preserved by God for all the generations to learn from it and to know the God of the universe. So it's much more than a story about two determined women. It's a story about God in the world with everyday people. And it's dense with theology. It contains the gospel. The fact that we are image bearers of God and we're called to live as those image bearers, to live the light of God in the world that we live in. So to grasp what this author is bringing out, let's just like quickly recap where we've been in this story. The events occur in a tumultuous time in Israel's history, the period of the judges we talked about in the first message. And it's in the first eight sentences of Ruth that you see the whole energy that pushes the story forward. I called it a wave, remember? I said it's like a wave machine. It's famine and death. And the, the, the famine that strikes this family and causes them to migrate to another region, to Moab, this Jewish family, to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab, that's, that drives them away from their homeland. And then they experience death. All the men in the story die. Limelech, the husband dies. The, the two um, sons die. And only Ruth returns as... Naomi comes back to her hometown. And when she returns, she returns empty. That's the way she said it. She has nothing. Not just the material goods, but she's missing what in that culture was important to her. Important to people. They needed men in their life. They needed them to provide for them. They needed to protect them. They needed them to assure that they had food, but they don't have that. And so Ruth returns with her, and they're scrapping out their living day by day. Ruth is going into the fields and gleaning, picking the side grain. And unbeknown to her and to him initially, the man's field that she's gleaning in is named Boaz, and he's a distant relative of Naomi. And as such, he has limited responsibility to provide for their family to purchase the land that was in Elimelech's family because Naomi can't own it because she's a woman. And then also, he has a responsibility to provide children in that family so that that legacy continues, both the land and the family name, to marry into the family, to marry the widow of the family. And Ruth boldly steps up and tells him he should do that. In fact, she, she says, you should marry me. Remember that? Of course you do. 
And he does it. Jed last week talked about how Boaz went to court and negotiated shrewdly to not only get the property, but also to be able to marry Ruth. And so now, where we're going to pick up the story is at least nine months later. And you'll see why I say that. But the story comes, it comes together here. In Ruth 4, verse 13, I'm going to put it on the screen here. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So having sons, as I've mentioned, is the gold standard of that day. So Naomi is once again restored to a place of honor among her peers in her hometown. The women said to Naomi, praise to the, be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. We talked about what that meant. And may he become famous throughout Israel. He will be famous. And she has a grandson. So now she has a future. And she has a retirement plan. He will renew your life. You're coming that's the emotional part. You're, you're going to be filled with joy now because you have what is culturally relevant to make you happy. You will be, you will, he will renew your life and he will sustain you in your old age. That's the financial part. And to her friends, now, who, who saw her come back and they said, can this be Naomi? Like, remember there, like, life had been hard to her and it showed. And uh, they say, you're even better off now than you were, which is, you know, not exactly the right thing to say, but look what they say. For your daughter-in-law, that is Ruth, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. They say, you have it so good. You're blessed. And she, once again, she has a son-in-law, that male figure, that means everything in her culture, and she has a precious grandson. And then it says, then Naomi took the child in her arms when he was born and cared for him. So she gets to be the nanny, the mamma, the oma, the granny. I don't think we can even imagine what emotions would be flooding through Naomi as she held that grandson. It must have shown in her face as her friends visited and as they see her walking down the street because the women living there said, Naomi has a son. They're rejoicing with her. And they lived happily ever after. Is that it? Is that what Ruth is? Is that how we should read it? Now everything's happily ever after. No, that's not the way we read it. Four observations. Number one, Ruth is not a happily ever after story. It's a story of redemption. I'm going to explain that because we can read Bible stories in a way that kind of makes the characters in the Bible these perfect spiritual robots, right? That, you know, just kind of do good things, and then when bad things happen, faith always arises in, in the perfect way, and then they overcome. But when we read the Bible like that, we kind of we take the humanity out of the people, and we shortchange the remarkable things that they accomplish or overcome. 
And we miss an opportunity to be astonished. And worse, we can adopt a theology that is misshapen. We can adopt an unrealistic and unbiblical perspective of life when we read the Bible like that. So sometimes the search for simple answers can cause us to find the wrong answers. Because in the real world, believers suffer. They're forced to immigrate. They're hungry and they live in poverty. They face unimaginable tragedy. They lose their children or they're unable to have children at all. That's Ruth's story, right? But that's not the only challenges that come to us. Believers can have a lousy job and a worse boss. And believers can face sexual abuse and racism. And people can say things wrongly about believers and slander them or accuse them. Believers have health and medical issues. Believers struggle in their relationships. Believers get lonely, feel like they're friendless. And believers can be hurt the worst by the ones that they love the most. You know that's true. And no one could live through what Naomi and Ruth lived through without kind of lingering pain and anxieties and scars. The shadows of the past often remain. As Ruth would walk by the fields that she gleaned in, don't you think she thought about the times that she struggled there and scrapped out just for a little bit of grain to carry him through a day? When Naomi holds her grandson, don't you think that that was a reminder of the sons that she lost? And as she watched Ruth interact with Boaz, don't you think that she missed her Elimelech? See, there may not be immediate and perfect resolution to the things that we experience, that's for sure. But one thing we can be sure of is God's redemption of it. To redeem means to make good. It takes something that has no value or diminished value and makes it of high value. The Apostle Paul said it this way in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When God redeems something, he takes the broken and puts it back together. He takes the dark and makes it light. In chapter 4, in this last chapter of Ruth, is thick with redemption. I know that, like, I'm looking out at this audience. We all have a story, right? We all have those struggles in our past, maybe in our present. And it would be a gross misunderstanding to think if I am a Christian or a believer, it's like everything will be perfect or to try to be perfect, and then worse, maybe to expect perfection of others. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God redeems us, as Paul said. And as followers of Jesus, we're not just eternally redeemed. We have his promise that he's redeeming us today. It is, as Paul said, guaranteed. 
guaranteed. Sometimes all the sadness doesn't go completely away. Instead, it's redeemed. So sadness doesn't get off the bus, but it does move to the back of the bus. It doesn't drive the bus anymore. God's redemption does. Number two, God is the hero in the book of Ruth. And that's a direct quote from one of the books that I use to study for this series. Carolyn Custis James wrote a book about Ruth called Finding God in the Margins. You get it. The book of Ruth prompts us to say, look at what God did. That's what the the audience that is hearing this story for the first time was saying. We don't know why Ruth was childless in Moab, but we have this commentary. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And although her perspective is certainly influenced by the patriarchy of the day, Naomi's friends see it. The the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you. Remember, Naomi felt like God had left her. We see God at every turn in the book of Ruth. Ruth is not the hero of this book, and not Naomi's shrewd strategies either, nor is Boaz our man hero. The book of Ruth is ultimately God's story. He's the one who coincidentally has Ruth gleaning in the fields of Boaz, who just so happens to be a distant relative, a guardian redeemer. Naomi is able to see the chesed of God, the loyal love of God in a bag of grain at this point in her life. And it's because Ruth stands on her bold faith, on her faith that she's able to be so bold in her life. And who who prompts Boaz even to listen to somebody who is a nobody, right? God is the one who prompts Boaz to act in these unconventional ways that we saw in Jed's message last week. And God prompts Boaz to go beyond the expectations of his culture and even his religion, really. In the book, we have human beings making remarkable efforts, but it is God who is empowering and prompting all of it. And the reason why I note that, and I think it's part of the story, is that God doesn't expect you as a believer who is facing something that God is going to need to redeem. Your life is not perfect, right? God doesn't just expect you to buck up and get on with it. Not on your own. He gives us something that only he can give us. And again, the Apostle Paul talked about that in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 3.20, he said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power, that is what? At work within us. His power exceeds in us what, far beyond what we could imagine. He is able We sing that, but we have to allow him to enable us. Where are you struggling right now? That you're you're waiting for God to do something beyond 
what you can even think that he could do? Or what opportunities has God placed in your path that without him, you don't think that you dare try? He has not left you. The reminder of this story is that we see the power of God in Ruth, and she is just an ordinary person. I don't know what your biggest thing is right now, but can I say to you, let God be your hero. He is able. Number three. We matter to God. Jed, Jed unpacked this a lot, so I don't want to spe- spend a lot of time here, but it was in my notes already, so i got to give you some of it, right? We matter to God. The, the, the fact that this story is essentially about two women accentuates this fact that they are refugees and poor even takes it to another level. Because, remember, there's no shortage at this time in the world of men to tell the story about. God always gives us a surprise, doesn't he? And so he intentionally tells a story of women. And in so doing, he's telling us that in that culture, women didn't matter. So the fact that we have a story where they are front and center says God sees all. And even if your culture doesn't think that you matter, even if someone has told you you don't matter, God cares, and you matter. Jesus said, even the least of these. Remember that? You guys know what a gender reveal is? I don't want to make you scared. Just stay with me, okay? Um, Gender reveal is, in case you don't know, it's like if someone's going to have a baby, before the baby's born, they find out if it's going to be a boy or a girl, and then they do, they reveal it. It used to be you just call up and say, Mom, I'm having a boy. Now you do this thing, you hit a ball, it explodes into colors, you let out fireworks from far away. I mean, it's like all these ways of saying, you know, you got to, it's a boy or a girl. And um, the book of Ruth is a reveal in that way. It reveals the tenacious, loyal love of God, because in a gender reveal, it's an early reveal. The baby's not born yet, right? But you're pre-announcing whether that baby's going to be a boy or a girl, and Ruth is an early reveal of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a glimpse of God's love and a demonstration in, in real people's lives of how God cares about human beings. Last week, the way Jed said it was, your name matters. We matter to God. And as humans, we struggle sometimes to grasp that fully. In fact, I think that the love of God is the most difficult doctrine for us to truly understand. said, as we learned, no, I don't have a hair on the back of my throat if you have not 
been with us, but you can go into our archives and listen to the message of that title. It's a Hebrew word that means the loyal love of God. It's just throughout the entire story of Ruth. And so regardless of how insignificant we think that we are, or in our context actually are, you matter. You matter to God. The person next to you matters to God. And the person across your street matters to God. And a person across the country or out of our country matters to God. But that's not all. We matter to God and, number four, what we do matters. God wants to shine his light through us. There isn't one of us here that God isn't counting on to live our life in a way that shines the image of God to the people around us. Let's, you guys ever do the what-ifs? You ever play the what-if game? Let's play that. Just, just speculate with me for a few minutes here about this story. What if Ruth hadn't stepped up to the challenges in front of her? What if Naomi had never pulled out of her funk and guided Ruth in kind of like next steps? What if when she did, Ruth had refused to follow, just said, you know, I'm over it, I quit? What if Boaz had ignored the promptings of Ruth or his heart or only did the minimum that was required of him or worse, pursued only what could bring him profit? What if? It makes you think, doesn't it? What if the women had just stayed in their place? Or what if Boaz, is, Boaz had simply emphasized his power? If any of those things happen singularly, there is no story. Ruth reveals then how our lives count. Ruth gives us this down-to-earth story of someone who's not a Moses, she's not a Joseph or an Apostle Paul, she's not a pastor or a church staffer or the most amazing volunteer, you would not even know Ruth or Naomi if you lived in this day unless you were in close proximity to them. But here we have a woman, an immigrant, just a daughter-in-law, who takes her faith completely and utterly seriously who is compassionate and willing to to do what needs to be done and willing to take the risks in order to do it. What do we want from life? Christian, what do we want from our lives? Whatever time God gives us here on this earth is our goal to just reach retirement, reasonably healthy, to stay in a nice, safe Christian environment. If, if that's what we want, you can have that in this country and certainly you can have it in this valley. We can live a life of Christian enjoyment and peer support. We can preach for our choirs and our echo chambers. But what won't be accomplished if that's the way we live our faith? By the way, if, you, if we choose to live that way, you will, we still matter to God. But it seems to me like living like we matter is the biggest factor in understanding that we do matter. 
If we really believe we matter, then it becomes evident what we do matters. That God knows the plans that he has for us. So Ruth doesn't just have a personal faith. Her faith lifts people around her. She doesn't accept the culture's paradigm for her. She rises above that because she's in, she sees herself as an image bearer of the creator of the universe. I will go where you go. I will glean and scrap out a living. I will approach Boaz with all the risks, and I will uncover his feet in the middle of the night and lay there, and when he awakens, I will say to him, you should do the right thing and marry me. Those are not the actions of someone who's looking to live in a nice, safe bubble, don't rock the boat, or to live on cruise control. Her faith pushes her to take hope-filled risks instead of being paralyzed by her circumstances, by being weary, fearful, or cynical. Her actions, then, because her life matters, and what she does matters, her actions save Naomi, save the family name, and you could say that in some way she saves Boaz. Without acting on the things that they believed, there is no story of Ruth. They didn't just simply believe them, they did them. Does that make sense? What we do matters. I'm going to have the band come up. And while they do, um, you know when, you, when you're at the theater, remember back when you could go to the theater? And um, you know how to tell if a movie was really good? It's when they're rolling the credits and you don't move, right? You look around the theater and nobody's moving you're just sitting there either listening to that song and you're watching them just roll and emotions are going over you, you're thinking thoughts, and you're just kind of basking in the story. Well, that's how Ruth closes. The credits roll. And so let's roll the credits up on the screen. This, then, is the family line of Pérez. That's not going to be on the screen, evidently. Okay, there it is. <laughs> is it? I can't see it. Maybe it is there. Okay, you guys see it? That's the important part, because I have it right here in red. Okay, so this, then, is the family line of Pérez. Pérez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. How about I said those names? Well, it's just, uh, thank you, thank you. What's with this list, this roll of credits that didn't come off like I wanted it to? So remember, this story occurs in the time of Judges, but it's being told after the time of David. And David is the epitome 
of all the great kings of Israel. He's revered, he's loved, he's admired because he led in the heyday of Israel. And so there's no better way to describe someone's significance than to say that they are associated with the line of David. And what we learn in those credits, I don't know if you noticed or not, but Ruth and Boaz, they are the great-grandparents of King David. This is kind of like the stories had all these ahas. This is the biggest one of all. That Ruth is the great-grandmother to the great King David. This story started off by telling the story of two women that you, no one would know their names. And the story ends with the, the most famous name in all the history of Israel. And what's revealed at the end is she is an ancestor of King David. And that, in the, in the audience's mind at that time, makes her one of the most important people in their culture. You know, she is honored in Scripture, Ruth is, by being one of only five women listed in the genealogy in Matthew's gospel. So that's like, it's shocking to them. And the thing is, you and I have a genealogy, right? We, I mean, we have a physical one, right? But we also have another one. It's a, it's a genealogy of sorts. It's a spiritual genealogy. There are people in our future that we will never know till we get to heaven, right? That what we're doing now is going gonna, is gonna to affect them. If you're a parent, you have a rolling legacy of faith. We, each one of us has encounters, people in our lives that we touch over years, over a lifetime, in moments sometimes, in brief encounters that they, they may be in our spiritual genealogy. I wonder what names will be in the future as part of God's story because of what you and I did. Something to think about. And I think that, that in the end, this is, what, this is what Ruth brings to us. Someone who nobody knows. Somebody who is not extraordinary. Who's basically invisible. Maybe worse than invisible. Despised in some cases. She is doing something in her life right then. Only because she's living out her life in the image of God in the way that God has designed her to be. And... There's an impact into the future, the same for you and me. Let's stand and pray. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.